Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Enrique wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, yeah. how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTRadio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner. Darren Pritchett. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the program. Hope you had a terrific, at least so far, Wednesday, March the 29th of 2023. A little snow in the air earlier today. Sounds like it's going to be a whole lot warmer tomorrow. And it should be. It's opening day for Major League Baseball tomorrow. All 30 teams will be in action, including a brisk day at the friendly confines of Wrigley Field as the Cubbies will take on the Milwaukee Brewers, the good guys from south side of Chicago. They're going to be down in Houston taking on the Astros, the defending champions who now sport a pretty good guy in the middle of their lineup. The Sox fans know well, Jose Abreu. Looking forward to opening day tomorrow games throughout the day to kick off the 2023 Major League Baseball season. And to get you ready as a fan, I have put together the things you need to know about the new rules in Major League Baseball. Thumbs up or thumbs down. We'll go through those rules coming up in just a little bit here on WSBT Radio. So we've got two hours to work with tonight. Coming up on the program, a couple of segments on Notre Dame football spring practice, including comments from earlier today from Irish defensive coordinator and linebacker coach Al Golden. He'll talk about the first week for the defensive line working out in spring practice. And, hey, this guy could have a big role on this football team trying to replace Isaiah Foskey. It is Jordan Bortello and Al Golden talked about Botello earlier today. You'll hear, you'll hear his comments coming up in about 20 minutes on WSBT Radio at 6.06. We'll talk Notre Dame football with Blue and Gold Illustrated's Notre Dame football beat reporter, 
Tyler Horka. Also coming up on the program this evening, we've got our Twitter question of the day. I'm going to be joined by Notre Dame softball coach Deanna Gumpoy. One of the most consistent programs at Notre Dame is the softball program, a 700 winning percentage for Coach Gump, and now 22 years in the dugout for the Fighting Irish, 20 consecutive trips to NCAA regionals. Coach Gump's going to join me at 6.30 tonight to talk about the start of their season. They are 19-8-1. They host Pittsburgh this weekend, and there is a strikeout cancer event that's going to be a part of this weekend's action between Notre Dame and Pittsburgh. Twelfth year of doing this, they have raised over $600,000, and this is something that is very close to the heart of Coach Gump. We'll talk to her about this coming up at 6.30 here on WSBT Radio, and we will conclude the program tonight with some sports wagering talk for suggestions coming your way here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. 11 minutes after 5 o'clock, let's get the program started with three topics to get things rolling on this Wednesday evening. And we start things off with a little dab of Notre Dame football conversation. As we all know, Marcus Freeman entering year number two as head coach of the Fighting Irish. I can only imagine the difference in what's going through Coach Freeman's mind a year ago at this time compared to now. First time head coach going through the process for the first time, I'm sure was an absolute challenge. But as you get more comfortable in your position... You get used to being pulled this direction and that direction. Things start to slow down. You settle in. You find your rhythm. You find your comfort zone. And off you go in year number two. Al Golden knows what it's like to be a head football coach at the collegiate level. Had that great turnaround of the Temple program. Also head coach of the Miami Hurricanes. And Golden entering year number two as Notre Dame defensive coordinator earlier today coach golden was asked about how different or not different marcus freeman is right now as he settles into year number two as head coach of the fighting irish of notre dame it's slowing down you know he 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 hasn't said that but i could see everything just slows down year one uh you could imagine you know just all the places that he was pulled last year i think everything's slowing down for him and uh i think we all feel his personality right now. We all know exactly what he wants in every aspect of the program. Uh, and I think he's really clear. He's always been clear. It's just everybody's hearing the message um, repetitively now and, and, uh, and consistently. And, and um, so it's, he makes it really easy to give him what he wants. And I think that's a sign of a great leader. And as I told you, I think he's awesome. I think he's, uh, I think he's the guy that's going to take us where we want to go. He uh, just every day he's got a vision for the program. Uh, he's really clear, cares like crazy about the kids. Um, you know, not just on the field. I'm talking about uh, in the classroom, in the community, uh, all of those aspects. So um, can't hide that. That's who he is on a daily basis. So from that standpoint, um, that that would be the biggest difference. I think everybody wants this to work because Marcus Freeman has so bought in to the University of Notre Dame, what this program is all about. Even the little things. 
And maybe this isn't a little thing. But on Saturday, the Notre Dame lacrosse team, number one in the country, taking on number three, Virginia, at Orlada Stadium. A lot of hoopla about the game. And what happens? On the sideline, cheering on the Irish, is the Notre Dame football team in uniforms. Jumping up and down, waving towels, screaming, yelling, supporting the lacrosse team. It was a really cool moment. And that's just an example of Marcus understanding Notre Dame. A great opportunity for one team to support another. So many teams support the football team. Going to the games on Saturday, a chance for the football team to give back to the lacrosse team. I know through the years in the spring semester, we've seen a lot of Notre Dame football players at hockey games. Awesome to see. I think we understand how well Marcus communicates with the players, how much respect the players have for him. Marcus goes about his business, and you'd never have to worry about Marcus embarrassing the football team or the university like previous head coaches may or may have not done so. He just gets it. He's likable. He has the traits of a human being that you like. And hopefully he turns out to be one heck of a football coach. Remember that Marcus Freeman team last year started 0-2. And I'm the first one to say probably Brian Kelly doesn't lose the Marshall game or the Stanford game. And I'll stand by that. But Marcus Freeman, how he rallied the troops. The players never stopped listening. When it was 0-2 and things weren't looking very good, Everyone continued to buy in. And they got to 9-4 and four with a backup quarterback. Not too shabby. A lot of good things came out of last year. In a year they started 0-2, we learned a lot about the players and the relationship with the head coach when the team was a little bit down and out and getting roughed up on message boards. They stuck together and made something out of last year. Hat trick, opening topic number two, Major League Baseball begins tomorrow. And Major League Baseball has done some things to try to improve the game of baseball. They are trying to make the game more enjoyable for you, the baseball fan. I don't think necessarily they're targeting the diehard fan because us diehard nuts will watch those four-hour baseball games. We're in a very small minority, but we are the nuts that don't mind the long games. But I understand trying to attract more fans to the game. It is now a time in which social media can offer you clips of games moments after they happen. You don't have to watch the game. You get the scoring plays or the great defensive play or the strikeout sent to you on social media. So baseball's trying to make it a game in which you watch it from start to finish, or at least a good majority of it, rather than just watching highlights on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, wherever they send those highlights out. 1997 is going to be the standard I'm going to use to offer you some perspective and then compare that to what we had last year in Major League Baseball. Between 1997 and 2022, that is 25 years, the game time of baseball games at the major league level 
went up by 11 minutes with less runs scored. That's not what you're looking for. The game needs the ball in play. The game needs excitement. Waiting seven, eight minutes for the ball to be put in play is not good for anyone except pitchers. In 1997, the average game was two hours and 56 minutes. Game time last year, three hours and seven minutes. Major League Baseball believes the ideal game time for a Major League game is two hours and 30 minutes. So they set out to change things. Other stats worth noting. You want the ball in play. Batting average in 1997 was 267, last year 243. Runs scored down from 4.77 to 4.30. The strikeout rates. Again, ball not being put in play. In 1997, the strikeout rate was 17.1% last year, up 5.2% to 22.3%. 22 of every 100 at-bats, the ball never got put in play. Stolen base attempts. You have these great athletes, but using the stolen base was not a part of a lot of franchises' game plan. Stolen base attempts in 1997, 2.15 per game. Last year, 1.35. Major League Baseball conducted a survey asking fans what they liked and what they didn't like about the game. What they liked or what wanted more of? Fans wanted more stolen bases, doubles, triples, and great defensive plays. What they wanted less of? Mound visits, walks, pitching changes, and pickoffs. Well, I'll say this right now, and toward the end of my time calling South Bend Cub games, minor league baseball games became boring because... Every team, now granted, these are kids trying to learn to perfect their craft and get to the majors. But whether it was, it was more South Bend at the high level right now, but so many guys were throwing as hard as they could and they had no idea where the ball was going. There were so many walks in 2021. It just, I didn't understand how there wasn't more thought of taking a little off the fastball and placing it in the right spot rather than just rare back throw and hope and pray the ball finds the plate. Or maybe it was just the Cubs instruction. I kid, but they don't have the greatest track record through the years in developing pitchers, although it's getting better right now. I'm happy to report for Cub fans. Theo Epstein. The former architect of the Cubs World Championship team in 2016, now a consultant for Major League Baseball, had this to say recently about the changes I'm about to tell you about. Three rule changes uh, proved to be effective, popular, and then upon today's approval vote, ready for implementation uh, in the Major Leagues in 2023. So I think the fans will love the pitch timer. Uh, which creates more action and a faster pace of play. I think fans will appreciate the bigger bases, which promote player safety and and more stolen base activity. And I think fans will cherish the moments absent extreme defensive shifts when games are decided not by whether their team's infield is positioned by the perfect algorithm, but by whether their team's second baseman can range to make an athletic diving play with everything on the line. So this game is about the players, 
and it is for the fans. And we hope that these rule changes underscore that. Uh, and we're confident that they help move us closer to the very best version of baseball. Okay, so as you get set to watch baseball, maybe tomorrow or over the next few days, let me just give you an idea what you're going to see. First off, let's talk about this pitch timer. A pitch must be thrown 30 seconds in between batters. You have a 15-second time frame for the pitcher to throw with the bases empty. And when there's a runner on base, only 20 seconds allowed in between pitches. The pitcher must start his motion before the pitch clock expires, or the umpire will call an automatic ball. Whether it's 3-2 or not, the ball will be called. Batters who violate the pitch clock get a strike. Batters must be in the box and must be in a position to be ready to hit looking at the pitcher with eight seconds left on the pitch clock. If they do not, a strike will be called. On top of everything else, pitchers are allowed now only two step-offs slash pickoffs per plate appearance. If you step off, that's one. You step off again or you throw a pickoff, that's two. Then, once you have two, you can throw to a base But if you do not pick off the base runner, a balk is called. Now, this is big for base runners, in particular with the righty on the mound. You can go almost on first movement. Now, if they throw over and they get you, maybe in a rundown situation, okay, great. But otherwise, advantage base runner, without a doubt. Now, let's go to defensive shifts at the major league level. The days of the shift are over. A minimum of four players must be on the infield. So you can't have three on the infield and four in the outfield. You can't do that anymore. You must have two infielders to the left of second base and two to the right of second base. All infielders must stand within the outer boundary of the infield When the pitcher is on the rubber, that means you can't have your heel, for example, on the outfield grass. If you do, one of two things are going to happen. The umpire is not going to stop the play at that point. If you have an infielder in the outfield grass, they'll let the pitch occur. And if the ball is put in play and the offense wants to accept the result, they can take it. Or if the batter pops out, they can say, you know what, we'll take a ball instead and the pop-up never happened. So that's what happens if you have an infielder illegally lined up. Finally, I like everything so far. I think the pitch clock's been good. Minor League Baseball, let me correct myself, Major League Baseball spring training games, 26 minutes were shaved off games with the pitch clock. I don't want it on the screen all the time. I know the Bally Sports broadcast team Their graphic with the scoreboard, with the bases, they'll put the clock, once it gets to 10 seconds, inside the little graphic of the infield. But it doesn't overwhelm you. You're looking at the telecast. I don't just want a big clock on the screen. I think that's a major negative. But otherwise, I love the pitch clock. I love the fact we don't have shifts anymore. I think it's great. It should be more about the athletes trying to make plays rather than what the book tells you what this guy does. 
I think it's good for the game. It's going to raise batting averages, and we need the ball in play, and we need a little more offense to get people excited. The one I don't like is the bigger bases. The bases look like pizza boxes now out on the field. They are now 18 inches, three inches larger than last year. The goal is to give players more room to operate around the bag to prevent collisions. Here's what I don't get. We're making the bases bigger. Okay. One of the major problems, collisions at first base. The base runner staying in his path, running toward the first base bag. The first baseman has to worry about sometimes trying to reach into the runner to grab the baseball, which can lead to finger, wrist, arm injuries, even shoulder injuries. And what's, I think, interesting is the fact that the base is in fair territory, which causes you to get closer to the first baseman. I've said this for years. I don't know what the problem is. Maybe they just don't like the look of it. Why don't we go to what all of us have dealt with in slow pitch softball in a lot of occasions. You have one base where it always is, and then the safety base, which is basically in foul territory at first base, attached to the first base bag. So basically you have two first base bags, which allows the base runner to get further away from the first baseman by touching the bag that is in foul territory. To me, that's simple. I don't think we need changes at second base and third base. It's not like in the 70s where the base runner sliding into second could send the the shortstop out into center field. That's an illegal play now. You have to slide nicely to avoid contact. I don't think the extra bag at second and third is necessary. Just add the safety bag at first, and I think we're just fine. But what they are trying to do with the larger bases prevent collisions, but also encourage more stolen base attempts. With the bags going to 18 inches, this does cause a four and a half inch reduction in the distance between first and second and second and third. When you think of close calls at the bases, that could make a major difference. So I would expect stolen base attempts and stolen base successes to go up this year, and maybe the speed game will be brought back to Major League Baseball. There's just been a theory. You don't want to steal a base, get someone thrown out when the next guy could hit a home run. We're kind of playing Earl Weaver baseball, the old Orioles manager in the 70s. Maybe we can find a happy medium. The 80s Cardinals who would steal 300 bases in a year. We don't have to go that far, but somewhere in between I think would be okay. Pitch clock, love it. Defensive shifts, gone, love it. Bigger bases, don't think it's totally necessary. All right, 529 at WSBT, our third and final hat trick of opening topics. Back to Notre Dame football for a second and the upcoming NFL draft less than one month away in Kansas City. Jordan Reed, who works for ESPN.com, covering the NFL draft process. He has done a heck of a job. He has put out a seven-round NFL mock draft. He picks for every team that's going to be on the clock in the seven rounds coming up. How many Notre Dame players do you think were taken in that seven-round draft? For me, the number I expected was the number taken, four. Jordan Reed of ESPN 
Mayer.com had Michael Mayer going 29th overall, a first-round selection of the New Orleans Saints. We've talked earlier this week that the Saints have become a a popular destination for the Irish tight end. The second Notre Dame player off the board, according to Jordan Reed of ESPN.com, Isaiah Foskey, the defensive end, going in the second round, number 53 overall to the Chicago Bears. Boy, they could use a boost in their pass rush. When your safety leads a team in sacks, you need to draft some bodies and sign some free agents. The third Notre Dame player off the board in this mock draft, Notre Dame offensive lineman Jarrett Patterson. He goes in the fifth round, selection 168 to the Arizona Cardinals. And finally, ESPN's Jordan Reed in his seven-round NFL mock draft, the fourth and final Notre Dame player taken, seventh round, pick number 230, Irish safety for just one year, Brandon Joseph, selected by the Houston Texans. I expect four to be taken. We'll see if anybody sneaks into the seven-round draft. So that's just a little sample of mock draft, a seven-round mock draft. Mayer in the first round of the Saints. Foskey second round to the Bears. Fifth round, Patterson to the Cardinals. And Joseph, a seventh-round pick of the Houston Texans. 531 is our time. I'm Darren Pritchett. That wraps up our hat trick of opening topics to begin tonight's program. We'll focus on Notre Dame spring practice once again. I'll allow you to hear from Irish defensive coordinator Al Golden. Coming up next, he met the media earlier today. This is Budweiser's weekday sports beat on your home of the Blue Goal game on April the 22nd. And this weekend's NCAA men's and women's basketball Final Fours, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Leading off on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Don't you guys go anywhere. Plan to put on a hitting display. The center fielder. That boy is good. Number nine. Nine times. Nine times. Nine times. West League champion. Adios! Walk-off home run, Eloy Jimenez. Who prefers to cheer for the birds on a bat. Adios! Goodbye, and maybe that's the winner. Here's Darren Pritchett. 537 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Notre Dame spring practice continued earlier today. And after practice, second year defensive coordinator Al Golden met the media. Not only defensive coordinator, but linebacker coach. A reminder, in Al Golden's first year in South Bend, he put together the nation's 29th best scoring defense. The Irish ended up allowing 23 points per game. Total defense, which is total yards allowed, 22nd in the country at 329.3 yards per contest. And the run defense, hey, it's always important to stop the run. The Irish 37th in the nation, allowing 131.3 yards per contest. The defensive line is going to look a whole lot different this year with the Adamiola's gone. Isaiah Foskey, the all-time sack leader in Notre Dame history. You've got familiar corners, familiar linebackers, the safety position. Let's see how that plays out, but a lot of focus 
on the defensive line as the Irish will try to put together a unit that can play at the level of last year's group and hopefully at some point go beyond that particular group. But a lot of changes. You look at the Viper defensive end spot. Isaiah Foskey gone, 11 sacks last year. Jordan Botello right now is the leading candidate to take over his spot. You look at defensive tackle, Riley Mills, who's played a lot of snaps the last year and a half. He's the leading candidate to be defensive tackle. At the nose, you've got Howard Cross and Gabe Rubio. And the field end, Nana Osafa-Mensa. And the newcomer from Ohio State, Javante Jean-Baptiste. So Al Golden earlier today was asked about the defensive line, how things have gone in the first week of spring practice with that unit. Yeah, I'm really encouraged. Um, obviously, uh, Riley, Nana, uh, Howard, you know, gave uh, some real veterans in there. Patello came on at the end of the year. He's carrying forward. Junior uh, obviously played for us late in the year, which is awesome too. So uh, that piece has been a really great addition, welcome addition. Uh, love his attitude. And uh, then we need some, you know, that next generation of guys to really step up, you know, Anya and and Ford and, and Heinish and those guys. So uh, really, really excited about the way they're working on the field and off the field, meeting with Coach Extra and doing whatever they need to do. Well, of course, you go back to the Brian Kelly era. Mike Elston, the defensive line coach, did an amazing job of developing talent. It wasn't like they were bringing in five stars in every single class. He got the guys that fit the system and did a terrific job of developing them. And the great thing about the Irish the last few years, not only has the starting unit been very, very good, but you had a very dependable second unit along the defensive line to come in, allow those starters to get breaks, and yet you didn't lose a significant amount when the twos were in there giving the ones a breather. And when you think about fourth quarter success, the ability earlier in the game to get those twos in there allowing those ones to be a little more fresh in the fourth quarter is massive. But if you're going to be a championship contender, you need to have a number one unit that is really, really a difference maker, but a second unit that can also play high level of football. And that's where the big question is about this fighting Irish defense. What will Coach Washington be able to get out of this defensive line unit? Again, Botello is a guy that hopefully can take the big jump he looks the part, 6'3", 255, a senior. He's been around these parts a good amount of time. He should know the defense by now. And you replace Foskey's 11 sacks maybe with Botello, who had four and a half sacks last year. Now, Notre Dame ended up with 38 sacks in 13 games last season. Again, Foskey had 11 of the 38. That comes out to 2.92 sacks per game, which tied for 16th in the country. That's a pretty good stat line there for the Fighting Irish. So here was Al Golden earlier today asking about the progress of Jordan Botello. Yeah, I think it's helped. He's bigger, he's stronger. Um, you know, he's had a good offseason. Um, again, uh, the biggest thing uh, with, with Jordan is just, you know, just do your job. Don't make it more than it is. Um, play with poise, play with discipline, uh, stay within the structure and, and, uh, and execute. That's, he has enough talent that if he does that, he'll make a lot of plays for us. All right, so that was Al Golden on Botello. 542, Darren Pritchett with you talking Notre Dame spring practice, focusing on 
the Irish defense with defensive coordinator and linebacker coach Al Golden. Let's speak about the linebackers just for a second. This has been a group of players that gets a lot of debate on message boards and social media. You've got kind of the old guard and the young guns right now in this linebacking core. Weak side linebacker, you would have to imagine that Maris Leofown, the grad student, is the leading candidate to start there, but he's got junior Prince Collie right now in his rear view mirror. You look at the middle linebacker spot. Again, an old Grizzly veteran in J.D. Bertrand, the tackle machine, the grad student. He's got a very interesting young player that the Irish are grooming right now. The true freshman, Drake Bowen, early enrollee, playing baseball and football this spring. Bowen has the chance to learn from Bertrand, and if all goes well, maybe Drake Bowen is that starting middle linebacker for the Fighting Irish next year. So the Irish have an interesting group of players, and I should mention the Rover as well. Let's just put the Rover in the linebacker category, even though it's the combination linebacker safety the Rover, you would imagine for the first game against Navy, might be Jack Kaiser, the 6'2 grad student. But here's a really intriguing player that got a little more time late in the year last year and Jalen Sneed, wearing number three for the Irish, the sophomore 6'1", 217, a very exciting player from Notre Dame's recruiting class two years ago. That's a guy that is coming very, very fast. So you've got Leah Fowl. Bertrand, Kaiser, the old guard, but here comes Collie, Bowen, and Sneed as guys trying to take their job or at least get a little more playing time this year. And, of course, with different packages, you're going to see different combinations of players this year. Here is Al Golden on what's it like to have some veteran linebackers to lean on this time of the year. Being in the NFL in the sense that they give you ideas uh, and they share with you where their eyes are and what they see on certain plays. And sometimes you adapt uh, how you coach things or, or how you teach things or even how you change calls based on their strengths. Um, and and uh, so from that standpoint, their feedback is always welcome. I let them uh, talk a lot um, and contribute a lot in the meeting rooms, and that, that, that helps a lot. And then the other thing is, you know, secondhand coaching. You know, they're constantly getting given feedback to the younger guys, even when, when uh, you know, me, Max, and, and Mike aren't around. They're given feedback, um, and so they're always getting coaching uh, from, uh, from the older guys, which helps a lot. No question about that, and it's going to be fun to see how the linebackers are used this year by Coach Golden, who, of course, is the position coach for that particular group. And finally, just a thought on the Irish secondary. And you've got a very exciting now sophomore corner to focus on in Benjamin Morrison, the six-foot corner out of Phoenix, Arizona. Boy, did he come on strong last year. Not a guy that got a lot of buzz in the recruiting class coming to Notre Dame, but, boy, he showed up immediately, ended up with six interceptions on the season, tied for third in the country. Pretty good showing for a freshman. How has that changed him? Does he look different this spring getting ready for his sophomore season? Here is Al Golden on the corner, Benjamin Morrison. Same guy every day. I can hear him, you know. Um, 
I can hear him next door with Mick all the time, all those guys, you know. Um, but specifically, when you address Ben, um, he's the same guy every day. He's competing. Um, you know, he wants that challenge. He wants the sombrero on him. Uh, and uh, he's up to the challenge, and uh, it's been fun being around him. He's, he's, he's finding little ways to improve in every aspect of his game, and, and uh, that's a sign of a great one. Well, you've got Morrison likely at the field corner spot. That's the wide side of the field. Morrison, six foot 185. You've got the taller cornerback in Cam Hart manning the boundary side or the short side of the field. So you've got two players you feel really good about there. You've got guys like Jaden Mickey trying to move up the depth chart at the corner spot. Thomas Harper comes in from Oklahoma State, a guy that has some corner and safety responsibilities in the past. That's a guy that I think we imagined is going to be the nickel for this football team at 5'11". And 195. The question is, what are the Irish going to get from the safety spot? You got two older guys that you would have to imagine are the leaders in the clubhouse at the start of spring practice. DJ Brown at free safety, backed up by Ramon Henderson, strong safety. Xavier Watts, the former offensive player. And then we'll have to see who's going to back up Watts at strong safety. If, in fact, he is the starter, you've got an injured young freshman in a Don Schuler that I know the Irish hope can contribute down the line. So Al Golan meeting the media today, talking about the first week of spring practice. And of course, a lot of focus on that fighting Irish defensive line. 12 minutes in front of six o'clock, Darren Pritchett with you. We're live on 960 AM WSBT. We are streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on the free WSBT radio app. Don't forget a chance to win a $50 gift card from Wings, etc. You can go to my Twitter account at 960Sportsbeat and take part in our opening day contest. We'll shut off the answers to this question tomorrow morning. So you still have time to go to my Twitter account at 960Sportsbeat and answer this question. How many total runs scored? Will the Chicago Cubs and the Chicago White Sox have on their opening day games? The Cubbies are at home to take on the Brewers. The Southsiders are down in Houston. We are looking for total runs, but total runs without going over. So if the winning answer is 13, you picked 14. Someone else had 11. 11 wins because it was under your guess. So again, make your answer Total runs without going over. So keep that in mind as you go to my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. And if you are the closest to that particular correct answer, you will win a $50 gift card from Wings, etc. If we have multiple people that tied for first place, we will draw one name to win that $50 gift card from Wings, etc. Perfect time of the year. You've got the Final Four. Baseball starting the Masters next weekend. Nothing like having some juicy wings from wings, etc. to have a great afternoon or evening watching those sporting events. So just go to my Twitter account at 960 Sportspeed. A $50 gift card from wings, etc. is on the line. How many total runs will the Cubs and the White Sox score on opening day? It is 10 minutes in front of the top of the hour. We've got our Twitter question of the day coming up in a couple of moments. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on your home of the Blue Goal Game. Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
It is 6.07 on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett. Sports be brought to you by Budweiser, Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, and Pet Refuge. I'm joined now by Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated. Check out his work at blueandgold.com. And I should mention as well, Blue and Gold has a couple of stories up right now about Anthony Knapp, who verbally committed to the Fighting Irish today, a 2024 offensive lineman. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for your time. Greatly appreciate it. Let me just start with the Irish offensive line. We know three of the starters that Alt, Carell, and Fisher are going to be in the starting lineup, but the two guard spots are up for grabs with Patterson and Lug moving on. I'd just like to get your early impressions of what you have witnessed in practice, and do you feel like what we're seeing could be reality that Michael Carmody and Billy Strouth might be early leaders in this battle? Yeah, I mean, and the word early is definitely key there because I think it's really early, and you got to remember at this time last year, everyone was still expecting Jared Patterson to start at center, and we hadn't really learned yet that Zeke Carell was going to slide over there from – uh, well, you might call a failed experiment at guard. The 2021 season didn't go Correll's way at left guard. He got benched, but then you say, hey, we've seen this guy play center against some really good teams. North Carolina, Alabama come to mind in that 2020 season. Let's throw him there, and then you put, you move Patterson over to guard. You have Josh Lug playing the other guard position. Bam, there you have it. You're starting five. That didn't come to fruition until probably July, like knocking on the door of fall camp so what we see in spring practices I think you got to kind of take with the grain of salt but yeah I've been calling Billy Shrouth kind of a little dark horse leader ever since uh, probably he the word started getting out that he was getting over that injury that he missed most of last year with or or at least the beginning of last year and, and workouts leading into the season and obviously he was a true freshman last year but I think that guy if he had stayed healthy and and wasn't dealing with the surgery that he had before stepping onto campus as an early enrollee in 2022, he could have been a guy that everyone was watching in these practices and saying, whoa, this, this guy's a really good football player. Now we're getting to do it in his second spring practice and really the first time he's been healthy in spring practice. So he's been great. And then you have a guy like Michael Carmody who, look at Zeke Carell, it's kind of the same thing where yep. it's been some failed experiments. He's tried to play a bunch of different positions. It hasn't worked. And sometimes ultimately it just – it finally clicks and offensive line is probably the position where that happens more so than any other position in football, where you need those years of experience. You don't always have Blake Fisher, Joe Walt, that it just clicks as freshman, Billy Strauss. Maybe it clicks as a sophomore. Sometimes it takes till your senior year to be really good offensive line in college, offensive lineman in college football. Michael Carmody might be that guy, but then I'm not ruling out Andrew Kostofik and Rocco Spindler too. I think this is a, a really a competition between four guys for two spots. And that's better than saying, okay, we've got nobody to fill two spots. So I think Joe Rudolph is in a pretty good situation with all of these guys. I just like the fact Carmody has stayed here when so many other people will jump in the transfer portal at the first sign of adversity. He's played center. He's worked out at guard. He's worked at tackle. And now he's working out at guard once again. I'm kind of pulling for him. I don't have really a dog in the fight. But I love the stories in which guys stick it out, continue to work, continue to battle, because sometimes, eventually, your name will be called if you stick around. Yeah, absolutely. And go read Patrick Engel, my coworker's 
story on this at blueandgold.com. I think it might have come out yesterday, so uh, Tuesday, March 28th. And we, we got to talk to a couple of his teammates, his longtime teammates, Jarrett Patterson, Josh Lugg at Pro Day last week. And Patrick asked them some really good questions about Michael Carmody. And you could just tell by the way that they were speaking of him, that they feel the same way as you, Darren, where it's like, okay, I'm out of the picture now. Obviously, I wanted to play, and I took up two of those spots for the longest time because at the end of the day, that's what happened. Garrett Patterson was playing. Josh Lugg was playing. Some of these other guys were playing over Michael Carmody. Now it's kind of opened up for him to really just pick one of those spots and and run with it, and I think he's doing that right now. And it's easy to root for a guy that, like you said, kind of stuck it out, was waiting on the sideline, quite literally waiting on the sideline, and now he really has an opportunity to do what he's always waited to do at Notre Dame. Sam Hartman, you did a great profile on the new Irish quarterback at blueandgold.com within the last month or so, breaking down each of his games at Wake Forest. And what did we talk about? Man, Sam Hartman loves to throw the deep ball, and he's very accurate. If you beat the corner or you beat the nickel or the safety, he likely is going to get you the football. Now, I know we can't just say, hey, we saw two clips from Notre Dame on Twitter, and this must be the norm. You got to take it with a grain of salt. But every time you see a clip on Hartman, and you've seen him in person a couple of times, he just impresses how comfortable he is throwing the ball down the field. Yeah, and I'll go back to uh, three weeks ago to the day, actually, on March 8th, where we actually finally talked to him for the first time since he's been at Notre Dame in a media press conference type of setting and it's just the confidence that he has thrown the ball he doesn't even need need to talk about it I think one of the reporters was trying to push him on his deep ball prowess and how well he throws the ball downfield and finally he, he just wasn't saying much about it because I think it's such second nature to him he just said yeah I, I kind of tend to throw the ball downfield and good things happen and that's absolutely what happened for him at Wake Forest you don't become the all-time leader in the ACC in touchdown passes without be, being able to throw the deep ball, because look, you can throw all the 10, 20, even, you know, 25 yard touchdown passes that you want. But if you're not sprinkling in some 30 plus yarders, even some 50 plus yarders, then you're not going to get to 110 touchdown passes. He got there because he can throw at every level of the field. And he's shown that, yeah, this is a vertical game in college football these days. If you're a quarterback who can't push the ball down the field, you're you're probably going to get picked on a little bit. We saw it with Drew Pine. I thought he did awesome things for the Notre Dame for Notre Dame as a quarterback last year, considering the circumstances coming in as a backup. But that element of verticality wasn't there. Defenses kind of sat the safeties over the top. Linebackers were able to creep toward the line of scrimmage. And it made life really tough on the Notre Dame offense. I don't think you're going to see that this year because these safeties, these corners know, like you said, Darren, if a defensive back gets – what's the old saying? If, if he's even, he's leaving. If these wide receivers <laughs> for Notre Dame – just meet Sam Hartman halfway and do yep. their part to, to run downfield, then, yeah, Darren, what we've seen is he's going to hit them because he's accurate, he's not afraid to take chances, and, and he hits those chances more times than not. He's Tyler Horka, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Blue goal game last year, Jadarian Price, freshman running back, dazzled us the 55-yard catch and run off a screen pass electric speed i think he ran away from was it morrison on that particular play it was one of the corners okay a couple guys i think it was yeah i think it was clarence lewis and then i'll yes. never forget ramon, ramon henderson having the angle at safety i mean the perfect angle exactly what you want 
and Price is blowing by him, too. It was impressive. Yeah. Well, last summer, Torres Achilles. We have not seen him in a Notre Dame jersey in a regular season game. And, of course, he is still working his way back at this particular time. If healthy in the fall, how do you think his season plays out for the Irish? I think he's the number three running back behind Logan Diggs and Audric Estime. And I think you kind of saw the writing on the wall. We talked about this last week with Chris Tyree moving to wide receiver, at least the potential of that being there. And as far as we've seen in a couple practices, he's worked out there exclusively. So I think the kind of the writing is on the wall in that the guy that you saw last spring, the, the guy that you saw in that blue gold game is kind of who Notre Dame thinks that he can beat. Now, what sucks about this is there's a little bit of an asterisk that he's going to have to erase because some guys just aren't the same coming back from Achilles injuries, and that's really scary. That's As a running back, as a football player, that's probably one of the more severe injuries that you can have. It seems like everyone's coming back from ACL injuries these days, but Achilles injuries are a little more rare, and you don't really know what happens. But I think Jadarian Price kind of gave us a statement at Notre Dame's most recent practice that we were able to watch where he literally ran from the Goog to the Irish Athletic Center right across the street. <laughs> It's, it's not a long way, but that, that was a statement. He said, hey, look at me. I can run into this practice. I'm not walking. There were so many days uh, last fall where we saw him walking in with the boot and doing nothing but core exercises and what Notre Dame calls the pit for all of the injured players. It's kind of a – it's like a pity pit, really, is what it is because <laughs> they, they can't do anything over there. As soon as we see Jadarian Price maybe start running some sprints and start running some ladders and doing these other things, I think it's kind of a signal, not just to Notre Dame fans, but maybe to college football that, yeah, I think this is Notre Dame's number three running back. And you see that with Chris Tyree moving to wide receiver and just the excitement that you kind of heard Marcus Freeman in the press conference last week saying, yeah, uh, really excited to get Jadarian Price running and, and maybe we'll see some things from him this spring. I think he's been one of the top storylines. I wrote about it at blueandgold.com. Just the fact that he's getting healthy alone is one of the top storylines for Notre Dame this spring. we got to get Ron Paulus on the line right now. We've got to get that pit sponsor. There's got to be a barbecue place or something <laughs> that can sponsor yeah. that particular area. Hey, I know Liven you, it up a little bit. That's right. Hey, I know you do a lot of reports on the offensive side of the football, but I'm just going to ask you in general, anything that has stood out on the defensive side over the first week of spring practice? Yeah, I think there's a sense of – sense of urgency with the defensive line and we've heard it even in some of these press conferences where uh, wrote about this today at blueandgold.com there's a trend there you got to get the blueandgold.com and uh, mm-hmm. to read about Notre Dame football because everything is right there uh, they're just trying to figure some things out and, and I've been kind of up in the air on that position group and Al Washington from the very first practice that we got to watch was, was stern was in these guys face I, I've never had any issue with the way that he coaches I think Offensive line and defensive line coaches at this level need to be stern guys, need to be no-nonsense, and he's one of those guys. So Notre Dame has the right fit with that. But, look, this, this is a group that lost a whole lot of contributors, starting with Isaiah Foskey and then even going all the way down to a guy like Chris Smith, who they brought in from Harvard to play defensive tackle. He lit it up at the pro day last week, and it kind of goes to show you that he was a depth guy. He, he was never the star, but I think he was a really solid piece for Notre Dame at the defensive line. So I, I think there are some things that they've got to shore up there. And you, you've heard it in Marcus Freeman's press conference. You, hold it, you heard it with Al Golden earlier today on Wednesday where they're throwing guys out there who have never started a game in their life as 
de facto starters in practices and, and, and they're saying, hey, prove it to me because we're in a position where everyone can prove it to me and we don't know who – if Notre Dame played a game tomorrow, I couldn't tell you who the starting four defensive linemen yeah. would be. There, there are a couple there. You know, right? you think Riley Mills is going to start. You think Javante Jean-Baptiste came in from Ohio State to start. But it's not like he was starting every game with the Buckeyes either. So great ad, depth ad, but he was never the star of that program. Really good program, obviously. But I just think throughout the spring, throughout the summer, and into the fall, that's going to be the area to watch because there are some other holes on this Notre Dame defense. But if you can figure it out up front, that tends to help a lot of things just with the entire defense. Tyler, what was your reaction to the Irish women's basketball team hanging tough with Maryland in the Sweet 16 before having a rough third quarter and losing to the Terrapins? Yeah, I thought it was an excellent second quarter to outscore Maryland that way and take a a lead into halftime. I I did not expect them. I've been covering this team all year. I did not expect them to lead at any point in that game, really, unless it was like 2-0 early. Uh, And they had a lead at halftime. I think that was an excellent coaching job by Neil Ivey. And look, at, when it got to the third quarter, like you said, and especially in the fourth, you had three frontline players, Matty Westfeld, Kylie Watson, Lauren Ebo, who all had four fouls. And with a team that only has eight scholarship players, you're talking about three of the eight with four fouls. You're not set up to have success. Maryland can play all styles of ball. They can be physical. They can run. And that's what Sonia Citrone said after the game is, Maryland kind of dictated the pace. Once it got the four fouls, they were able to run. You can't step in front of uh, Maryland Terrapins who are cutting to the basket when you have four fouls because you're going to pick up your fifth, and all of a sudden you're out of the ball game. So I thought with what they had, it was excellent coaching by Neil Ivey. You, you kind of saw the writing on the wall. You felt it was going to end that way just because they were so depleted. But it, it almost gives you a little bit of a chip on the shoulder going into the next year saying, hey, hopefully we are at full strength. And if we are at full strength, to play with a team that went to the elite eight and South Carolina is obviously the best team in women's basketball. Maryland kind of hung in that game was never down by more than 10, 12 points until it got to, to the end there. So I think at full strength, that could have been Notre Dame and maybe Notre Dame even gives South Carolina a better game than that at full strength. And then uh, you look at what Hannah Hidalgo did in the McDonald's all American yeah. game last night, a woman's scoring record with 26 points tied a record with eight steals. So for as long as Olivia Miles is out, if that's who you have to start at point guard, if you're Neil Ivy, I think you're over the moon about that. You're, you're totally fine about that. She's going to gain a whole lot of experience right away at Notre Dame. And then you're just kind of with Lauren Ebo leaving one player, one post player away again from, I think having definite elite eight potential and, and then maybe knocking on the door of final four, which is mm. where, you know, Notre Dame women's basketball has been for the better part of the last couple decades. What type of offers do you have right now at blueandgold.com for Irish fans to join your Blue and Gold family? Yeah, if you're listening to this right now is the perfect time to get there, I guess, in the next six hours, five or six hours. Today only, it is $10 for the next four months. So we'll get you all the way through spring ball, through the summer, knocking right up on the, the door of that August 26th season opener against Navy. $10 for four months of access. We've got thousands of subscribers who are talking to each other on the message board every single day. We're throwing up tons of articles every single day, especially right now with spring football in full swing. So if you haven't signed up for blueandgold.com, today is one of the better days to do that. You can get four months of access for only 10 bucks. 
Tyler, always great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Encourage people to go to blueandgold.com to read your coverage of spring football, and we will talk to you again next week. All right, Darren. Thank you. Thank you so much. Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. A timeout, then we'll talk with Notre Dame softball coach Deanna Gump about her 19-8-1 Irish and also the strikeout for cancer event, 12th year of this event. They've raised over $600,000. We'll find out how you can be a part of festivities this weekend at Melissa Cook Stadium, 624 at It is 6.30 on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett, joined by Deanna Gump, 22nd year as the Notre Dame softball coach, 20 consecutive trips to NCAA regionals. The Irish are off to a 19-8-1 start, and they will host Pittsburgh at Melissa Cook Stadium Friday at 6, Saturday at 1, and Sunday at noon. And it's time once again for their annual Strikeout Cancer event. 12th year of this event. They've raised over $600,000. We'll talk about that coming up here in just a second. But, Coach, first off, always a pleasure to talk to you. How are you today? Hi, Darren. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Greatly appreciate your time. How about a synopsis of the Irish so far this year? I mentioned 19-8-1 going into this series against Pittsburgh. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's been a, it's been an interesting first half of the year. Um, and, you know, luckily we have the second half to go and it keeps getting tougher. And I like that. Um, we've had our ups and downs, um, but we've seen us play really, really good softball. So we know what we're capable of. And now we're looking for a lot of consistency and just, you know, bringing our best game every single day. I'm curious, just as a huge fan of baseball and softball, how much do you get into analytics? Like baseball has a number for everything. Are you getting more involved in those numbers in softball? And how much has that increased over the last couple of years? It's definitely a big part of our game. With all the film out there and all the analytics, um, it has definitely changed the game. I was actually talking to a coach last night about just, you know, we're talking about postseason and what we need to do to get there. You know, we're, we're always looking at the big picture um, and, you know, we're trying to say, what's the best lineup? Um, we use a system that's helping us with the best lineup using the analytics. So we're using it in all parts of our game. Uh, so it's fun, but it's not something that I, I would say rely on consistently mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, you go with what works. Yeah, good point. Well, I, I love the look of your lineup, Coach. It seems like you have a very balanced lineup this year. Yeah, we do. We have, you know, we have power throughout the lineup. Um, we have speed, probably not, we're not putting our speed to work as much as I'd like. I think that's something that I really want to work on the second half of the year is really um, pushing that speed a little bit more. Um, but we are very balanced and, and, you know, the lineup's been pretty consistent, which I like. Mm. Coach, I'm curious just with the way you've kind of got three individuals that have started a lot of games for you on the mound. Is that something you like to do? Are you more toward using just one or two people normally? How do you like the way things are working out right now with your rotation? I like the rotation. You know, we're getting our sophomore and our freshman a lot of innings. Yeah. Um, we've, we've been relying on Peyton Tid more than anybody, and it's just her maturity and it's her, you know, the experience that she has. She's a fifth-year senior, pitched, you know, she's on her fifth year pitching for us. 
Um, she she just handles the pressure so so well, um, and you know we we're looking for her to to give us a chance to win every single ball game, and she's done that. And with now our sophomore and our freshman Becker and, and Caster um, starting to to get their feet underneath them and really getting a lot of innings, uh, it it's been awesome. And we definitely are going to continue to use that three man rotation uh, because at the end of the day, we're not going to win with just one. Mm. Deanna Gump, Notre Dame softball coach, my guest here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Coach, you have your strikeout cancer event coming up, 12th year of doing this. You've raised over $600,000. And if you wouldn't mind, let our listeners know that this event is very close to your heart. Yeah, you know, this is, it's not, you know, we call it our strikeout cancer weekend, but it's so much, it's so much bigger than that. Uh, you know, 12 years ago now, wow, it's 12 years. Mm. Um, our daughter was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia, and um, that changed our life. It changed our world, and it, it was the worst time in our life. And we quickly learned how many people helped us and how many people wrapped their arms around us and, and just did anything they could to make our days a little bit easier. And since that time, um, you know, my family and my our program is committed to doing the same thing for families and children who are, who are fighting in this community. And every dollar that we raise goes straight to those families and those kids who are fighting every day. Wow. Can you give some examples of how the money raised has impacted people or maybe gone to purchase things to help people? Oh, for sure. Uh, well, I can tell you um, percentage-wise, there's over 45% of families whose, who, whose children are currently battling cancer are food insecure. So we started um, with the help of Beacon, we started a food pantry. So anytime a family takes their child to get treatment, they get to supply themselves with any, all the food that they need. Uh, and there's no limit, no limitations. So we have um, made sure that a lot of the money goes to that. Uh, but we also make sure that every kid in treatment has a humongous Christmas. Um, we send kids on wish trips um, that can't uh, that are uneligible for or excuse me ineligible for Make a Wish. We've sent and that's the like 18 to 22 year olds who are still being treated as pediatric. We send them on their wish trips. Wow. Um, we've paid for hotel rooms for kids who uh, needed special treatments. We we give gas cards. We we're constantly giving um, you know just just you know things to brighten their day. Um, toys, the works. We send kids to camp um, who can go to camp. So we do anything we can to make things better. We, we purchase a therapy dog for one kid who oh. was fighting cancer. So we just do what, whatever they need. We're up for it. Mm. Absolutely amazing, Coach. And how can people take part in the events this weekend? What's going on? Well, uh, there's, there's a few if, if this weather helps us out a little. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we have our annual trivia night on Saturday after our game, and that's at the Cub facility. But the big thing is, is on Sunday, we have our um, home run derby. And that's a super fun time to come out of here. There's going to be a couple of Notre Dame coaches coming out to swing, mm. hit some bombs. So when we're done with our games on Sunday, um, we're going to have a home run derby. And the more the merrier. We want anybody to come out who wants to swing, make a donation. But you can also just go on Twitter, on our Twitter page, and the link to donate is right on that Twitter page. 
for those of us that are old and our bones are brittle, how much do we have to pay to stand at second base to hit a home run? <laughs> Nothing. Just come. Okay. <laughs> just come for fun. I love it. I I'm love it. You. Oh, I love it. So, again, <laughs> Friday at 6, Saturday at 1, Sunday at noon are the game times, Notre Dame and Pittsburgh. One other thing I want to ask you, Coach, just as we start to get out of the, I guess I'm calling it the COVID era of athletics, I would have to imagine it has been challenging putting together rosters with all the different options you have with some of those players getting that extra year of eligibility. Yeah, it, you know, it, it, it was such a blessing for them to get this opportunity, but it has its challenges. And I think it's more challenging for the younger kids who, who don't get that opportunity. And they just come under these programs and are like, man, I just <laughs> I want a, I want a shot. And so it, it has made rosters larger. But it's working itself out, and you know some of you know I tell the young ones just be patient. You're going to get your time yeah. um, with some of these returners coming back. So it, it's worked itself out. I mean, we only have one more year to for wow. this to happen. We only have one more transfer year. Yeah, so yeah. it's going to slow down a little bit after that, and things are going to feel a little bit more normal. I think. And coach, finally, I can remember. I guess it's been a few years ago that. On the Notre Dame baseball side in that dugout, there used to be a guy that had Gump on the back of his jersey, and and now there's a a Gump again once having a jersey with Notre Dame and Gump on the back. Your son Brady is a junior outfielder for the Fighting Irish. I can only imagine how proud you and your husband are seeing him put on that Fighting Irish jersey. Oh, yeah, Darren, it's it's pretty cool. And the best part is is when I'm done with my day, I can go watch him a little bit sometimes. And what a blessing. And so it's such a great, such a great opportunity for him. Uh, he loves, he loves the guys. He loves the coaches, and he's so, so proud to be part of it. Is Dad more nervous as a coach or a fan sitting in the stands? He's worse as a fan, <laughs> as you know. <laughs> I think we all are. It's it's a lot harder being a parent than a coach because you're distracted by the game, right? Yeah. We're we're out of control of things exactly. when we're parents. I love it. Exactly. Well, Coach, I I greatly appreciate your time, and good luck this weekend against Pittsburgh and your strikeout cancer event. I'm not sure there is another program on campus that is as consistent as your program, winning over 70% of your games, 20 straight trips to NCAA regionals. It is always fun watching your team play. So thank you so much for your time, and hopefully we can catch up again soon. I look forward to it. Thanks so much. Thank you, Coach, very much. That is Notre Dame softball coach Deanna Gump joining me here on WSBT Radio. Again, the Irish are hosting Pittsburgh this weekend, Friday at 6, Saturday at 1, and Sunday at noon. Catch out, catch some great Notre Dame softball action in the ACC at Melissa Cook Stadium coming up this weekend. Again, the Irish are 19-8-1. All right, it is 642 on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Don't forget, go to my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat to take part in our opening day challenge. How many runs will the Cubs and the White Sox score combined? Find my tweet with that information. The person closest without going over wins a $50 gift card to Wings, etc. So you've got probably 15, 16 more hours to take part in the contest. Again, go to my Sportsbeat account on Twitter, 960. How many runs will the Cubs and White Sox score on opening day? 642 Sizzler coming up next on your home of the Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. 
Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Highlight reel won by Williams. Down the sideline, Williams. Chased by Gamble. 20, 10. What a run. Touchdown. Spectacular run. Here's the fake. Meyer looking. Meyer finding the other tight end. Irv Smith touchdown. 5-5 rocket touchdown. Irish. Here's your host. Darren Pritchett. One final segment for Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat for this Wednesday. Want to remind you that Sports Beat on Friday will be reduced to 30 minutes from 5 until 6.30 because we're going to bring you the play-by-play of the NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament Final Four. And we've got a very interesting set of national semifinals At 7 o'clock on Friday, it's LSU taking on Virginia Tech from the ACC. And then at 9 o'clock, Iowa, with that great offense, will try to knock off undefeated and defending national champion Carolina. Then on Saturday, we'll bring you both national semifinals for the men's Final Four down in Houston. Game 1, Saturday at 6.09, it's Florida Atlantic taking on San Diego State. How about that? One of those two teams will play for a national championship on Monday. The nightcap at 849, UConn making their sixth Final Four appearance. They'll take on Miami. The other three schools, not named UConn, this is their first trip to the Final Four. UConn and San Diego State are the betting favorites right now in those national semifinals. So, Both the women's and the men's national semifinals, Friday and Saturday, respectively, right here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Tomorrow night, I'll be done at 6.30 as well because we are going to bring you ESPN Radio's play-by-play call of opening night baseball, the defending world champion Houston Astros taking on the Chicago White Sox. It's going to be very strange to see... One heck of a player for the White Sox, Jose Abreu, suiting up for the first time in a Houston Astros uniform. He signed with Houston during the offseason, so the White Sox, great. He'll be in an Astro uniform facing the White Sox on opening night. So that comes your way on WSBT Radio tomorrow night. Looking forward to that as we get the baseball season underway. Show me the money. We go with Sizzler. We go with Sizzler. And now it's time for our sports wagering segment. We go into Sizzler on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Let's recap the picks from last night. We started with two NIT selections. I hate picking NIT games, but there's not much to choose from. So the first was Wisconsin's Tyler Wall going over. Five and a half rebounds. He had gone over that number in 10 of the last 12 games. And in those 12 games, he had averaged 7.3 rebounds a contest. So we went over five and a half rebounds for Wall against North Texas. That turned out to be a good idea because Wall had seven rebounds last night. So that was a victory. The second selection was Wisconsin and North Texas. I went under 114 and a half points. 
We got that at minus 110. You bet 10, you win 1909. This is one I didn't deserve to win, but Wisconsin went scoreless for nine minutes, and we ended up getting the under by four and a half points. North Texas won 56 54, so 110 was under 114 and a half. In the first half, it looked like they were going to blow by 114. Then the Badgers could not find the basket, and we ended up somehow, some way, taking the victory. Well, my NHL radar has been off now for about a week. Last night wasn't very good. I went with a, a really good Hurricanes team on home ice against Tampa Bay. I took the Canes on the money line. Not a good night for Carolina. The Lightning beat the Canes in the battle of weather 4 to nothing. And my other suggestion from last night, a two-team parlay. You can never go wrong with the Bruins on the money line, the hottest team in the NHL all year. And you couple them with something else. Well, I did last night with the Bruins. Did not win. They lost at home to Nashville. So it didn't even matter what happened with the Stars and the Hawks. That was a loss. So 2-2 two and two last night. Now 2-4-2 two, and two for the week. And 15-15-2 and two for the month of March. Let's get to the suggestions for tonight. And we begin with the NBA. The Milwaukee Bucks taking on the Indiana Pacers. The total points in this game is at 237. I'm going over that number because in the three previous matchups between the Bucks and the Pacers this year, they have blown by that number. The total points in Pacers Bucks games this year, 251, 272, and 262. So, let's ride the wave. Bucks Pacers over 237 points. We'll go back to the NHL and hope for better luck tonight. Let's go with the Toronto Maple Leafs on home ice against the Florida Panthers. We'll take Toronto on the money line at minus 145. You bet 10, you win 16.89. And my final two suggestions for tonight are from Major League Baseball's opening day tomorrow afternoon. And let's focus on the Chicago Cubs as they take on the Milwaukee Brewers. It's more than likely going to be a little on the cool side at Wrigley Field. Maybe not bad for opening day. We're supposed to be at 52 here. And you've got Corbin Burns pitching for Milwaukee, one of the top five pitchers in the National League. Marcus Stroman was really, really good last year for Chicago. I'm going to go ahead and say that this is a low-scoring game. I think it's going to be tough on the Cubs to score against Burns. So I'm going to go Cubs-Brewers under seven and a half runs at minus 115. You bet 10, you win 18.69. And to play along with that suggestion, let's go with this. The Chicago Cubs will score under three and a half runs tomorrow. And we get that suggestion at minus 140. You bet 10, you win 17 14. So, our Sizzler suggestions for tonight Bucks Pacers over 237 points. From the NHL, Toronto on the money line against Florida. And then opening day baseball tomorrow afternoon from Wrigley Field Cubs and Brewers under seven and a half runs. 
And then the Cubs will score under three and a half runs against Corbin Burns and the Milwaukee Brewers. Sports Beat tonight brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you, Barnaby's the family inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. And by Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop, where new beginnings have happy endings. I hope you have a terrific evening. Thank you so much for joining me on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat, whether it's 960 a.m., WSBTradio.com, the WSBT Radio app, or the Twitch app. We'll talk to you again tomorrow at 5 o'clock on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass, Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass, Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today.